chapter 12, as we continue our study. Daniel's last vision from heaven is Daniel 10, 11, and 12. This prophet who has the longest prophecy ministry in the Bible was taken captive in 605 B.C. at the age of about 14. We come to Daniel chapter 12, and he's now 84 years old. And he is given prophecies pointing to the second half of the tribulation, known as the Great Tribulation. Um, There is more written about this time of wrath and the day of the Lord in the Old Testament and New Testament than any other in the Bible these three and a half years. Daniel, in each of his visions, has been taking us through the time period that is called the time of the Gentiles, according to Jesus in Luke 21, 24, which is the time that Judah went into captivity for um, worshiping idols and for disobeying the Sabbaths. Um, And that time period that began then, where there's been no king over Judah since that day, is awaiting the time period for the king to return. So when Jesus comes at Armageddon, um, we talked about this in Sunday school class this morning, the hope of a believer in the church is the rapture. The hope of the nation of Israel is the millennium. Every promise made to them in the Old Testament will be fulfilled when Christ comes to set up his kingdom on earth. Let's pray before we begin today. Heavenly Father, as we look at this time of wrath that, that Jesus specifically teaches Peter, Andrew, James, and John about that is throughout the Old Testament where sin is dealt with by a a lion um, coming from heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and where the kingdom that has really been awaited since Adam and Eve were created um, is coming. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Daniel chapter 12, we're going to look at this first verse and we will tap into some of what the Bible has to say relating to this first verse, but it is is throughout. It is from Genesis to Revelation that this time period where a human being will be indwelt by Satan and will call himself God and he will call people to trust him as their Messiah And at the midpoint of the tribulation, there is a list of about 20 things that happen exactly then. The prophets Moses and Elijah are killed. There's a war in heaven between Satan and his angels and the devil and his angels. Satan is cast to earth. Israel is commanded to flee from Jerusalem, which is what we're looking at today. And three angels come down from heaven to preach the gospel over the whole earth. 144,000 witnesses are sent into the second half. The institution of the mark of the beast by the false prophet comes into play, and the Antichrist sets up an image that is written about in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, which Jesus quotes, which is an image proclaiming himself to be God. This will be the peak of one world government, one world religion, and one world economy that man is racing towards today, that our country is racing towards. And at this time, 
The Bible tells us over and over again that those three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation, will be the most unbearable, difficult time in the history of man. And that's where Daniel has been in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. And we begin right at that midpoint again in chapter 12 and verse 1. Take a listen to these, this verse. We will do a lot of looking through the scriptures about these events. And we will want to take this verse with us wherever we go. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So we're going to take these three things with us that D Daniel summarizes the midpoint of the tribulation forward. The first thing we're going to take with us is that Michael, the great prince, the angels and demons are called princes in the Bible. So Satan is, is the prince of the power of the air in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. Um, the most powerful angel created by God is Michael. The most illustrious, the most beautiful, the most adorned angel was Lucifer, who looked in the mirror in heaven and said, it's not enough for me to be an angel. I want to be like God. And he fell, and we will see that in the Bible today. The angel that is the most powerful is, is Michael. Michael and Satan are rivals in that sense, and we will see in the scriptures today that Michael is more powerful than Satan. So Daniel number one tells us that Michael will arise at the midpoint of the tribulation to protect your people. So he says, when this happens, point number two, this will be the worst time on earth in the history of humanity. These three and a half years, as we will read that, and we read it over and over again in Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Revelation 11, Revelation 12, Revelation 17, three and a half years, 42 months, a time, times and half a time, we will see today that at that midpoint, Michael will come down from heaven having just defeated Satan. Satan will come down to hev from heaven to kill every Jew and every Christian. And Michael will protect the Jews in the wilderness for three and a half years until Christ returns. And at that time, point number three in this verse, your people, Daniel, those whose names are found written in the book will be delivered. Hold on to that today, what that says, because these passages are going to say the same thing and point to the same thing. Every Jew whose name is in the book of life, which is a small percentage of Jews, but it is every Jew who has followed God with their life, and every Jew that is alive in the tribulation will be gathered to the wilderness, protected by Michael, until Jesus returns. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 30, where Jeremiah is speaking about this same time period. All the prophets in the Old Testament do. 
This time period is called by Mike Malachi, for example, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Joel calls it the same thing. Amos says, do you long for the day of the Lord? Why do you long for the day of the Lord? It will be as though someone is running from a bear and they see a lion and they run in the house and put their hand on the wall to rest and a viper bites them. He says it will be a dreadful day. Don't long for this time period, this great tribulation in the second half of the tribulation. In Jeremiah 30, he is writing about this in verse 1. This is, the word of the, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity. He does that in his first coming, but he's pointing here to the second coming. And restore them to the land I gave to their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. So he brought Judah back. He hasn't brought Israel back yet, the northern kingdom, but he will at the end of the tribulation. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard. Terror, not peace. Ask and see. Can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hand on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off of their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. So we have in Matthew 24, Jesus is referring to this, and to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, he refers to it in Matthew 24, 21. We see Luke 21, 24, talking about the times of the Gentiles oppressing the Jews. And he tells us at the end of verse 8 here that, this time is going to conclude with that oppression removed from Israel. Every Jew is awaiting this moment. Every Israelite is awaiting the end of the times of the Gentiles, where Israel and Judah, it says here in Jeremiah, will all be brought back to their land. The land given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, which has never fully been occupied will be fully occupied when Jesus returns and he brings his people back into the promised land. Um, turn to Romans chapter 11. The only prophet in the Bible who teaches church eschatology, end times prophecy, is Paul. And the only prophet in the Bible who teaches both the, the day of Christ, which Paul calls the rapture, and the day of the Lord, which is the time of the tribulation and Armageddon and Christ coming to set up his kingdom. And we get effectively to the end of the gospel for Gentiles in Romans chapter 8. So he is still writing to Gentiles, but in Genesis, or excuse me, in 
Romans 9, 10, and 11, if you look at the beginning and the end of each of these chapters, he is explaining to Gentiles God's relationship to Israel. We live in a time of replacement theology. What does that mean? It means that much of the church says that God is done with Israel. They messed up and now it's the church. God has only chosen one nation and it is Israel. He has a kingdom that is coming that will be an Israel kingdom. Paul is the only one who explains how, as a Gentile, I'm included in God's promise to Israel. So in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he is primarily talking about God's relationship to Israel. Within that, he's doing two more things. He's talking about Israel believers. So there is the election of a country, and there is the election of individuals in Romans 9, 10, and 11. The election of a nation that was to represent him, and the election of people within that nation and every nation who follow Christ. So he is explaining that in Romans chapter 11, and we're only going to look at a few verses. It would benefit you more to read a lot more, but he is saying as we pick it up in verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. He is talking about Israelites, descendants of Abraham, verse 1. But verse 5 he's talking about Israelites, and he's talking about within Israel there is a remnant. There are believers like Moses, like Daniel, followers of Christ waiting for their Messiah. Chosen by if chosen by grace, verse 6, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So within the nation that is chosen, the individuals are chosen by grace because they believe, because they made Christ their Lord. Verse 7, what then, what the people of Israel so earnestly what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain, the elect among them did. These are the believing Jews. But the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. So because of their rejection of Christ when he came, God gave them the spirit of a stupor so that Jews today are, are being born again at a very small rate because, like Pharaoh, they rejected him, rejected him, rejected him, rejected him, and he gave them what they wanted, rejection of Christ. And as we will see later in this chapter, that hardening is going to be removed at the rapture. Drop down to verse 11 in Romans 11. And again I ask, did they stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? So in God's omniscience, he knows everything before it happens. 
He chooses Israel to be his witness to the world. They become very sinful. And Paul is explaining here that because they rejected him, the gospel came to the Gentiles. And then he asks the question, if that happened as a result of their disobedience, what will it be like when they obey? What will the day, Paul anticipates, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, that if the Israelites would just believe every one of them as a nation in Jesus, Paul says he would be cursed. He would give up his salvation if the Jews would believe. And now he's anticipating theology. Only Paul knows this. Only Jesus has explained this to Paul. Paul says, they rejected Christ, he stopped me on the road to Damascus, wrote Acts 9.15, to be the gospel apostle to the Gentiles because they rejected him. And then he says, think about it. If he did all of that because they rejected him, what is he going to do when they accept him? What will that be like, Paul is saying. Drop down to verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Again, mystery is something that was hidden in God that is now revealed. And in the New Testament, that is almost always Paul. Something new is being brought from God. He says, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part. They're not forbidden to believe, but they're hardened until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So if you read Romans chapter 11, verse 26, and you just read that verse, it sounds like everybody in Israel is going to be saved one day. We've already read what Paul is saying in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Everyone whose name is found written in the book, the book of life, there is coming, and we will see it later today, a time where Jesus is going to come to these Jews in the wilderness and he will pour his Holy Spirit on them. They are all anticipating his return and all Israel is saved. And Paul is anticipating that. He's saying when the full number of Gentiles comes in, the rapture, then the hardening will be lifted. And Jews in the tribulation will be, be reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the first time. And they'll be weeping, saying, that's our Messiah. That's our Messiah. And they will believe in him, and they will follow his instructions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Revelation. And they will go to the wilderness, and Michael will protect them there. Verse 26, again, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is explaining the tribulation to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In Matthew 24 and 25, in 24, he lays out the entire tribulation. In 25, he talks about the millennium and the, the final Yom Kippur for the Jews. 
and the separation of the tribulation when he returns. So we read in Daniel that Michael the great prince is going to come. This will be a time of distress like never before and your people will be delivered. Jesus is talking about this time period beginning in verse 14. We'll just pick it up there. He's at the midpoint of the tribulation in verse 14 and we'll know that in just a second. And this gospel of the kingdom, well, it's all pointing to the kingdom, Genesis to Revelation, the messianic kingdom rule of the Messiah in the millennium. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's talking about the second half of the tribulation, Revelation 14, where three angels come down and cover the planet with the gospel. 144,000 witnesses cover the world with the gospel. It would be great if this would happen today, but the church is not doing it. There are over a billion people who have never heard a Bible verse in their life on the earth today. In the tribulation, when the day of the Lord comes, when it's up to him to preach the gospel, the earth will be covered with the gospel. And everyone will hear and everyone will make a decision, Christ or Antichrist. Reading on verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. If we went back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he would say, in the middle of the seven, he will set up in the holy place an abomination that causes desolation. So Jesus is literally saying, go to Daniel 9, 27, Understand I'm talking about the middle of the tribulation and this is when the gospel will cover the earth in the second half of the tribulation and this is the time of Jacob's trouble that we read about in Jeremiah 30 and we're reading about in Daniel chapter 12 and the prophets all wrote about. And then he says at the end of verse 15, let the reader understand. If we look at these prophets, especially Daniel, he will tell us exactly the timing of this. Verse 16, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's Michael coming down from heaven and the Jews fleeing to the wilderness. Jesus is telling the Jews here, they will be reading this in the tribulation. Jews, in Jerusalem, when you see the image of the Antichrist in the temple, get out of Jerusalem. Satan is coming down from heaven at this time to kill every Jew. And you must flee to the wilderness where Michael will protect you. We read verse 17, reading on. Let no one on the housetop go down or take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on a Sabbath. For th then, and he's referring to Daniel 12:1 here, there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. He is telling Peter, Andrew, James, and John the gospel of the kingdom, and he's telling Jews in the tribulation, when you see this image, so Daniel 7, 25, 
Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, Revelation chapter 13 and verse 6, um, Daniel eleven thirty six. all those verses say that at this point, the Antichrist will present himself as God. He will destroy all religion on earth and proclaim himself to be God and Satan himself will come down and Jesus is warning Jews in Matthew 24. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 where John is seeing the vision that Daniel and Jesus are describing. Revelation chapter 12. This is the midpoint of the tribulation, as much of Revelation is the midpoint moving forward. Chapter 13, we see a synopsis of the, the kingdom of the Antichrist. We see the one world government in um, Revelation 13, 7. We see the one world religion in verse 8. We see the one world economy down at the last two verses of chapter 13. In chapter 12, it's a short chapter. We've studied it, so we're not going to study it with depth today, but we're going to read through what Daniel is talking about in Daniel 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. He's referring to Genesis 37 and 9 with a vision with what Joseph sees. This is Israel. Revelation 12.1 is Israel. She was pregnant and cried out in pain and as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. It swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, and Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17. This is the fall of Satan. This is Satan being cast out of heaven between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So he sees the first sign, he sees Israel. He sees the next sign, he sees Satan. And he's seeing the one who turned against God. And this is the verse in the Bible where we know that a third of the angels decided to follow Satan. So Jesus in Luke says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, describing what Ezekiel and Isaiah describe. And he sees Satan and his fall here. Reading on. Verse 4, it swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he was born, referring to Jesus. This is Herod killing the babies in Bethlehem in Judea when Christ was born. That's Satan trying to devour the child when he is born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. When will he do that? When he returns in the tribulation. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God, to his throne. That's Christ, glorified, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. The woman fled into the wilderness 
to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. This is exactly what Daniel 12.1 is talking about, what Matthew chapter 24 is talking about, let them flee Jerusalem to the wilderness. This is when it happens. This is the midpoint of the tribulation. And he tells them that they're going to be supernaturally protected in a place prepared by God. Daniel tells us they'll be protected by Michael himself for 1260 days. So we have in the Bible a time, times, and half a times, three and a half years. It'll say 42 months, three and a half years. It'll say 1260 days. Over and over again, we have this so we know exactly the length of this time period. For this 1260-day period is going to begin with Christ, or with the Antichrist saying, I'm the Messiah. And it's going to end with the Messiah himself returning. That's this intense time period that Jesus and Daniel and John say there's nothing like it. Of all the horrible things that have happened in the history of man, there will be nothing like these days. Verse 7, before Michael comes in Daniel 9, he has to defeat Satan. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. So we've talked about this before. We see in Job, we see in the Gospels, Satan has access to heaven. He does today. He loses it at the midpoint of the tribulation. When Michael defeats Satan, Satan is never allowed to return to heaven. And this is the moment that that happens. Verse 8, But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. All the demons and angels that have access to the, to the throne in heaven will lose it here. Verse 9, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with them. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He will not be accusing in heaven after this moment. Verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, because, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Daniel says in Daniel 7.25 that he tries to change the set times here. He knows he's got 1,260 days before Armageddon. Verse 13, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. This is Israel. And here's how we know it's Israel. Verse 14, the woman was given two, the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a times. 
We've already read 1260 days. Three and a half years is being repeated over and over again. Verse 15. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, meaning Christians, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. So at the midpoint of the tribulation, Satan loses a war in heaven. He is cast down to earth and immediately he goes after Israel. He is going to try to wipe Israel from the planet just like Ahmadinejad in Iran wants to do today, just like Putin would like to do today, just like Adolf Hitler once wanted to do and Nebuchadnezzar once wanted to do. And all of these people have attempted to wipe out Israel. Um, the covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31 is the new covenant. The one person that explains this is the Apostle Paul, but the language will be familiar to you. This covenant has two parts. The first part is how everyone who follows Christ is in this covenant. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, Paul will say in Galatians 3.28. The second part of this is probably the most amazing prophecy that is always being fulfilled. And I say it's the most amazing because there's always been someone trying to exterminate Israel. And they've never been able to. And they never will. And that's the second part of this covenant. So let's begin in verse 31. This is the covenant that you and I are saved in as followers of Jesus Christ. The first covenant was given to Moses. This is the new covenant. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So if we went back to Romans chapter 11, this is the elect. These are Jews who keep his commands, enter his covenant, and he will take away their sins and remember them no more. So this is quoted by Jesus and Paul throughout the New Testament when we are explained grace, that he would remove our sins, that there would be um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So this is that covenant this is the anticipation of the church in Israel forming one body in Christ. 
And now in relationship to the covenant in Israel, because like I said, much of the church today says God is done with Israel. Paul says don't say that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, verse 35. This is what the Lord says, he who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease to be a nation, cease being a nation before me. Again, he says in verse 37, this is what the Lord says, only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. So that last verse explains to us, yes, they've disobeyed him. Yes, they broke his covenant. Yes, they rejected the Messiah when he came. But I want you to know that when I promised in Genesis 12, 3, my covenant to Abraham, that was never going to change. That those who bless you, I will bless, and you will be the, the blessing to all the nations, and I will keep my covenant with you forever. In Genesis 15 and 17, he makes a covenant with Abraham, promising the land that is in the Middle East, which is Palestine and Israel and other Arab countries are sharing that land today. He promised to Abraham, that's yours forever. That covenant that he made with Abraham will never be broken by God, even though the people in it, in large part, broke it. So he is making that promise to them. Turn to your Bible in Zechariah chapter 13, near the end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> I would encourage you to study these passages and the whole chapters on your own. God expects us as Gentiles to understand our Jewish heritage and how they come together, and who brings them together. In Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, we won't have time today, but you look in your notes, and Paul is explaining in Ephesians, starting in Ephesians 2, after in chapter 1, in the first half of 2, he explains grace to an individual, then he ex takes extensive time to explain how God's plan all along with the Israel and Gentiles would become one in Christ Jesus, that there would be one body, that it would include Jews and Gentiles, that that was always God's plan. In Zechariah chapter 13, we're going to look at three verses that have a message um, and a fulfillment in each one. So first of all, in verse 7 of Zechariah 13, Awake, sword, help my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This is God the Father speaking here about his son. Jesus is known in the Bible as the chief shepherd. He is the one who is close to God, it describes here. And it says here, strike him, and the sheep will be scattered. 
you look in your notes there, we know that this is Jesus because Jesus, he has the Last Supper with his 12. And then it says they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And when he gets to the Mount of Olives, you have it in your notes there, the first things out of his mouth. He says, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So he is going to pour out his heart to his father in the next few hours after he says that. And then they will come and strike Jesus, start beating him, put him in chains, and the disciples will run. And about 550 years before that, those words came through Zechariah the prophet, that there comes a day when the Messiah will come the shepherd who is close to the heart of the Father, and they will strike him, and the sheep will be scattered. And that is filled at, fulfilled at Gethsemane when they run as Jesus is being arrested. Verse 8 is another prophecy. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left. That's Jesus' second coming. This is the tribulation. We have read um, earlier today, we read in Jeremiah, you know, Paul talks about labor pains in Romans chapter 8, anticipating the return of the Messiah. And we don't know until we read Jeremiah that some of that's men. He says in Jeremiah chapter 30 that men, what are men doing with labor pains? That they're, they're bending over their stomachs. They can't stand up straight because their stomachs hurt so bad because what is happening is so horrific on earth that, that men are feeling what women feel in the last stages of labor pain in their stomachs. Imagine women, if you're, you're trying to flee Jerusalem with this anguish. We read in Revelation in, in Matthew chapter 24 where he says, pray that it won't be bad weather, um, It'll be terrible for nursing mothers and, and anyone who has children, Jesus is saying, it's going to be really difficult to get from Jerusalem to the wilderness. Even though two wings of a great eagle, we read, will take them there, Zechariah gives this difficult prophecy here that those who decide to leave Jerusalem are obeying the Messiah. They're believers now. And Zacharias says that two-thirds of them will be killed on the way to the wilderness. We read in Revelation chapter 12 that those people did not shrink back from death and that they, even though they died, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the, the word of their testimony. So there is in Revelation chapter 14, a specific beatitude for these people who are trying to make it to the millennium and they are killed by the Satan, the Antichrist, and his enemies. And then we have another prophecy in verse 9. This third, the third that makes it to the wilderness, which Daniel says are the ones whose names are written in the book of life, this third I will, I will put into the fire I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. 
They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. We will look into that in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 through 4 next week. Now we're going to, um, as long as we're close there, let's go right into Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 are about the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and the millennium. And in chapter 12 of Zechariah, much like Daniel 12 and Revelation 12, we see this picture. We see Israel's hardening is taken away, Paul says. Now they're reading the gospel. They're reading Paul's letters. They're, they're following Christ. They're saying, you might kill me, if I don't take the mark of the base, but I'm following the Messiah, I know who he is not. I'm, I'm not shrinking back from death. And we see them, we started today with, at that time, Michael, your great prince, will come down and he will protect your people. This is where he does that. We'll, we will go ahead and start at the beginning of the chapter. A prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and forms the human spirit within a person. I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, and whenever you see those three words together in the Old Testament, it is always pointing to the return of Christ on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. This is Armageddon. This is the valley of Jehoshaphat described in Jeremiah. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among the sheaves. They will consume all the surrounding peoples right and left, but Jerusalem will remain intact. In her place. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem, he made a covenant with David that the one who would take his throne and his scepter would be Jesus coming at, at the, what David wouldn't have known would be the second coming. So, verse 7 again, the Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God. Like the angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, that's always pre-incarnate Christ, going before them, on that day, I will set out to destroy the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out, verse 10, on the house of David 
and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping in Hadan Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. And that points back to the place where Christ comes is Armageddon, which is Mount Megiddo in the Bible, which is where Josiah, the last faithful king of Jerusalem, was killed, and they mourned for him there. You can see that in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. The land, verse 12, will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan. And this is interesting here that he puts Nathan. Nathan is David's son. The son through the throne comes is Solomon. His full-blooded brother is named Nathan. Solomon and his descendants go through a king named Jeconiah that is so wicked that Jeremiah says, God says, I will have no descendant of his on my throne. So at the time of their most disobedience, the line of David is cut off and it's healed with the birth of Christ. Because if you read Matthew's gospel and you see the genealogy of the king, you see Solomon. And when you read Mary's genealogy in Luke 3, you see Nathan instead of Solomon. Nathan heals the line to the rightful king. So it's interesting that Zechariah puts that in here. Um, he probably is just simply speaking for God. He's not thinking these things up. But he says, the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, and we're addressing in these last two here the Levite family, Aaron and the, the priests and Moses, also the clan of Shimei in the line of Levi, and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. It will be, as, as we read earlier as, um, in verse 10, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So when Jesus returns to earth and he comes to the wilderness where one-third of all the ones that tried to make it have been waiting for 1,260 days, and all of the sudden coming on the clouds is their only child, and they are just drenched in tears. And we take that into Romans chapter 11 when Paul says, all Israel be saved. And Paul asks, as a Jew, Paul says, what will that day be like? Imagine being a Jew and your eyes are opened and you're in the worst time on earth and Jews are being hunted left and right. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, that Gentile believers will be recognized by helping Jews. That's the distinction. Jews will be hunted throughout the tribulation. And Jesus says when he separates the sheep and the goats, he says that 
Um, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the Gentiles say, when did we do that? And Jesus says, when you helped these brothers of mine. So these Jews are going to make it to this wilderness with Michael holding Satan off for 1260 days and then the sky will break open and Jesus and if you're a believer today you and I will be coming on white horses he will judge the nations he will make his way to the wilderness and the tears will be flowing and they'll say my son my God my Lord my Messiah Paul says what would that day be like the ones who rejected him mourn as they would for their only son. Turn to Ezekiel 36. We'll just read a couple of verses where Ezekiel is talking about this pouring out of the Spirit. We will be in Ezekiel next week as we look at the Yom Kippur of Jesus refining these Jews in the fire. But in chapter 36... Verse 26, we read, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Do you remember when we read that in the New Covenant? Where's he going to write it? He's going to write it on their heart. What's he going to do with their heart of stone? He's going to take it away and give them a heart of flesh, and he's going to write this covenant on their hearts. So he says here, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a stone and give you a heart of flesh. Sounds familiar, right? Just like Jeremiah. And I will put my spirit in you. This is the elect that Paul says. This is the ones with their name written in the book, Daniel says. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. In 722 B.C., over 2,700 years ago, ten tribes, all except Judah and Benjamin, were taken captive by Assyria, which is, we look at Afghanistan and Kyrgyzstan and all these places um, north of Israel in the news. These Jews are still scattered there. They have never returned. In 605 B.C., Daniel was taken captive. In 597 B.C., Ezekiel was taken captive. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem was completely destroyed, leveled, and the temple torn down. In Ezekiel 43, he writes about the day that the millennial temple is built, Jerusalem is brought back, and the Shekinah glory of heaven, Jesus Christ, comes down, lands on the Mount of Olives, goes in the east gate of the courtyard, walks into the temple, goes across the threshold, and sits on his throne physically. We will be in glorified bodies if we follow Christ, but we will see physically, literally, in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ on his throne, and the, Jeru the Jews surrounding him with worship.
impulsive, what would that day be like? When all of the promises he made to Abraham and to David and to Moses and to Daniel come true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that the, the new covenant where your laws can be written on our heart, where we can follow your Son and something we could never earn or deserve, he will remember our sins no more. What an awesome God we have. Father, thank you for your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgive my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name I come to you to share his love like he told me to. Go. Cool.